In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. Bienvenido y gracias por llamar. Será conectado con un representante momentáneamente. Gracias. Welcome to Tuesday, everybody. Yeah, it's Tuesday. Woo! Time to get up and go to work. I'm excited. Gotta love Tuesdays. Who doesn't love a Tuesday? Come on. Get with the program. Gentlemen, will you let me... I'm sorry. Ladies and gentlemen... Will you let me tell you a little story of something that happened in Seville? It fits our situation so perfectly that I'd like you to hear it. Don Quixote told him to proceed, and the priest and the women gave him their attention, and he began as follows. In the lunatic asylum in Seville, there was a man put there by his family because he'd gone insane. He'd graduated as a student of canon law from the University of Osuna. But even if he'd studied at Salamanca, most people would have considered him crazy. After years of being locked away, this university graduate got it into his head that he'd become sane, completely right in the head. And with this conviction, he wrote to the archbishop, begging him most earnestly and with very logical arguments to let him be released from the misery in which he'd been living since by the grace of God he'd recovered his lost sanity. It was only because his family coveted his rightful share of their wealth that he was still locked away and they would go on with that pretense until he was dead and buried. The archbishop, persuaded by such a sensible and well-organized letter, ordered one of his chaplains to find out from the director of the asylum if what the university graduate's letter said was true, and also told the chaplain to speak to the lunatic himself, and if he indeed appeared to be sane, to let him go free. The chaplain did 
as he'd been told. But the director assured him the man was indeed still insane. Although he often managed to speak like a man of large understanding, sooner or later, he'd start babbling such quantities of incredible nonsense that he completely nullified all the same things he'd said before, which anyone could see when they talked to him. The chaplain decided to make the attempt and going to the madman talked to him for an hour and even longer, in the whole of which time not a crooked or foolish word was spoken. On the contrary, the madman talked so very sensibly that the chaplain couldn't help but believe him sane. And among other things, the madman told him that the director of the asylum was the very farthest thing from impartial because he didn't want to give up the presence the madam's family gave him to keep him saying that their kinsman was still out of his mind despite lucid moments so that the most serious obstacle to getting out of this misery was in fact exactly that great wealth in order to continue their enjoyment of what was rightfully his his enemies fraudulently called into question our Lord's infinite mercy in having returned him from a state of bestiality and made him once more a man. And in short, he made the director seem highly suspect, his kinsman greedy and cold-blooded, and himself so exceedingly sensible that the chaplain made up his mind to take the madman away with him so the archbishop could see for himself what was really going on in this whole affair. Acting in good faith, the pious chaplain asked the director to return the clothes this university graduate had been wearing when he'd entered the asylum, to which the director replied that he'd better watch out because beyond any doubt, this particular university graduate was still crazy. But the director's cautions and warnings had no effect. The chaplain remained determined to take the madman away, and so, in obedience to the archbishop's orders, the madman was dressed in his original clothing, which was clean and new. And when he saw himself dressed like a sane man and the garments of his insanity removed, he asked the chaplain to be charitable and let him go say farewell to his mad friends. The chaplain said they would both go and see whatever madman the asylum was sheltering. So they went upstairs along with some others who happened to be there and came to a cage which held a wild lunatic. Though at the moment he was calm and quiet and the university graduate said to him, my brother, tell me if there is anything I can do for you because I am going home. God having been pleased through his infinite goodness and mercy and not for any merit of mine to have returned me to my senses. I'm now sane and sound, for nothing is impossible to God's great power. Never lose your hope and trust in him, for having returned me to my original condition, he may also restore you. If you truly believe in him, I will be sure to send you some good things to eat. So eat them, for I want you to know that I, as someone who has been through it, am convinced that all our madness comes from keeping our stomachs empty and our heads full of air. Be brave, be brave, for to be melancholy in our misfortunes is to damage health and spur on death. Another madman in a cage just opposite listened 
to all of this and rising from an old mat on which he'd been lying bare naked he called out in a very loud voice to find out who it was that was going home all sane and sound the university graduate answered it's i brother i'm the one who's going for i need stay here no longer and i am infinitely thankful to heaven for having granted me such a great gift watch your words university man so the devil doesn't deceive you answered the madman do not make a fuss stay at home and be quiet and you'll keep yourself from having to return i'm sane and sound and i know it said the university graduate so i don't have to suffer for my sins all over again you are sane and sound said the madman all right fine we'll see what we'll see may god be with you but i swear to you by jupiter i who represent his majesty here on earth that for this one sin that Seville is committing today in thus releasing you and dealing with you as with someone sane and sound, I shall have to levy such a punishment on this city that it will be remembered for centuries and centuries. Amen. Don't you understand, you miserable idiot of a university man, that this is well within my power? Since as I've told you, I am Jupiter the Thunderer. And in my hands I hold scorching bolts in which I can and I do threaten and destroy the earth. But I choose to administer only one punishment to this stupid city, which is that there will be no rain here, nor anywhere near here, for three whole years beginning today, at this very moment when I have commanded this scourge. You free, you sane, you cured, and I a madman, I disabled, I under lock and key, ha! I'd as soon let it rain as I would hang myself. Everyone was listening to the madman shouting and ranting, but our university graduate, turning to the chaplain and grasping his hands, exclaimed, Don't worry, my lord. Pay no attention to anything this lunatic says, because if he's Jupiter and won't let it rain, I, who am Neptune, father and god of all waters, will have it rain anytime I feel like it and anytime it's needed. To which the chaplain replied, All the same, my lord Neptune, we don't want to irritate my lord Jupiter. You stay right where you are, your grace. And some other day, when we have more time and can do everything at our leisure, we'll come back for you. The director of asylum laughed, as did everyone else, which embarrassed the chaplain. They took the normal clothing off the lunatic, and he stayed in the asylum, and I have finished my story. And this, said Don Quixote, this is the story, my dear barber, you thought so appropriate to the occasion that you couldn't help but tell it? Ah, my razor-stropping friend, how blind is the man who can't see what's right under his nose? Do you really not understand? that comparisons between one man's wit and another's, or one man's courage and another's, or one woman's beauty and breeding with another's are always odious and unwelcome? I, my barbering friend, am not Neptune, god of waters, nor do I try to make anyone think me wise when clearly I am not. All I keep trying to do is make the world see its error in not resurrecting for itself the happiest of times 
when the order of knight errantry roamed valiantly up and down its roads, but our depraved age does not deserve that blessing as former ages did, when knights errant shouldered and took on themselves the defense of kings, the protection of damsels, the succouring of orphans and wards of court, the punishment of the proud and the rewarding of the humble. With most of our knights today, it's the damocks, brocades, and other rich fabrics they wear that rustle as they go, rather than any coats of armor. Knights no longer sleep out in the fields, open to all the rigors of the heavens, lying there armed and armored head to foot. No longer do they try to snatch 40 winks, as it's called, without pulling their feet out of the stirrups but only leaning on their lances as the knights of old used to do. No longer do they sweep out of a wood here and up a mountain there, and then tramp along a barren, deserted seashore, usually in stormy, angry weather, and then find themselves right at the water's edge, a tiny boat without oars or a sail or a mast or any rigging or tackle, whatever. But with intrepid hearts, launch themselves out into the waves, abandoning themselves to the implacable waves that break across the bottomless sea, on which one moment they are borne up toward the sky, and the next are pulled deep into the abyss and setting their breasts against the invincible tempest find. Though they could never have expected it, they're suddenly 20,000 miles and more from where they set sail, and leaping out Onto the distant unknown land, they experience things worthy of being recorded, not simply on paper or parchment, but on bronze. But today, sloth triumphs over exertion, laziness over labor, vice over virtue, arrogance over bravery, and the theory of combat over its practice, which lived and shone only in the age of gold the age of knight errantry. And if I'm wrong, tell me, who was ever truer than braver than the famous Amadas of Gaul? Who wiser than Palmerian of England? Who more easygoing and sweet-tempered than Tyrant the White? Who more gallant than Lusart of Greece? Who more often stabbed and stabbing than Don Belanius? Who more fearless than Perion of Gaul? or more willing to hurl himself into danger than Felix Marte of Hiricana, or more forthright than Esplandian, who more dashing than Don George Monti, who fiercer than Rodamonte, who more sensible than wise King Sobrino, who bolder than Rinaldos, who more invincible than Roland, and who more courtly and more courteous than Ruggiero, from whom our dukes of Ferra are descended, according to Turpus cosmography. All these knights and many more that I could recall for you, dear father, were knights errant, light and glory of knighthood itself. It's these or men like them I'd want to carry out my plan, and with them his majesty would find himself well served and also saved a good deal of expense. And the Turks would be left pulling out their beards, and I for all that will stay in my asylum if there's no chaplain to take me out of it. And if that Jupiter 
as the barber tells us, won't reign, well, here I am, and I'll reign whenever I want to. Which I say because I want Mr. Barber Basin to know I understand him. Interesting, right? Why would you read me that excerpt, George, from the quite possibly the greatest writer of all times, Miguel Cervantes. Well, I read you that, my friends, because I believe that today it has dawned on me that we are all Don Quixote. We are all knights errant. We're all fighting windmills. We're all lunatics in our own asylum. We're all Jupiter carrying thunderbolts ready to destroy the world some more than others but that's what this world is it's an asylum if you think just think for a minute logically about some of the ideas you hold are those not worthy ideas of being committed like if you if you're honest with yourself you're fucking a lunatic right it makes if you think about If you think about the world in which we live and you believe that there's this divine God or this divine spirit looking down on you and this world, you have to ask the question, why would there be so much pain? Why would there be so much sensible death? What a horrible God would allow this to happen. That's the question that arises, right? But if you ask a different question, if you say, wow, how is it possible all these fucking monkeys can make this world work? That's pretty impressive. (laughs) You see what I'm saying? I hear you. I believe. I do. I have faith. I believe that there is some grand organizing plan that we're unable to understand. However, in times like this, it's I find it fascinating to just see the way the world is working. I heard another great quote that talked about when one is born into privilege, when one is born into privilege, to those that are born into privilege, equality seems a lot like being deprived of what you normally have. When one is born into privilege, equality begins to seem as though you're being deprived of things that are rightfully yours. I want everyone to think about that. Like I know some really awesome people and I think most people that I meet are awesome because they are. People are beautiful and they're, they're kind and they're most of them are good people but we're also misguided I want people to think about this word equality do you want equality is that what you want because if you live in a first world equality means bringing up the rest of the world not to your standard but bringing up 
the bottom 80 per, the bottom 90% of people think about have you most people who live in in a rich first world nation have traveled and you've probably traveled to a third world country there's a lot more people in a third world country so for those people claiming hey we want equality we want equality we want equality what you're saying is i would like to lower my living standards to look more like a third world nation equality in the usa looks like michigan that's equality because you look a lot more like a third world nation and you should be very careful going out and voting for people that want equality you get what you're going to get what you ask for you want equality okay think about this if you are a person that has a child and you live in a first world nation your child will use 500 to 1000 times more resources than a child born in the third world that means if you for every one child a family has in the first world there could be 500 kids born in the third world so for people that sit there and claim look i want equality i want fairness i want things to be better for everybody you should first off realize the hypocritical nature of what you're saying if if you have more than one kid and you're going out and telling people you want equality well then we should get rid of one of your kids it's not fair to the rest of the world that you have a child that will use 500 to 1000 times more resources do you see how greedy and selfish that is you have you have two cars you have three fucking cars there's people there's villages that don't even have one car so be careful what you wish for be careful what you vote for cuz you might get it you could argue that what's happening in the united states right now is equality there's riots all over the world there's the level of corruption while it's horrible in the usa is worse in third world nations so if you want equality you should understand that your neighborhood your neighbors the death rate poor healthcare systems less money for working people more corruption more rape more death more violent crimes that is what you want to bring to the US you want equality in the US you want to our nation to look more like the rest of the world you see there's been such a push for equality and we've been lied to in that most people think equality means all of us in our country being more like billionaires but that's not what it is you see equality the only way for the world to reach parity or some semblance of equality is to take all the money out of the richest nations and let's be clear the people at the very top are not going to lose money right the bank executives wall street politicians the multinational corporations those people that you think don't deserve the hugest profits in the world and trust me I'm one of them I don't think that I don't think they deserve all that they're never going to lose their money you're never going to cut into their to their piggy bank ever it's never ever going to happen but if the masses of people vote for equality what that will do that will make sure that every working person gets a bigger percentage of their taxes taken out of their check 
and we can take all of our money and we can send, I think we sent, what is it? Seven or $12 billion to Israel every year. I think we spend upwards of like, I don't know what, I'll have to look and make sure, but I think it's upwards of $500 billion a year out of the U.S. Taxpayer money goes to fund schooling and welfare programs in other countries so we can be equal. Like, I don't want to be equal. I don't want all of us to be homeless. I don't want all of us to lose everything we have. Let's face it, like, if you're like me, you're working 60, 70 hours a week. And for what? So you can get taxed on everything? So the government can come in and just take your, a big percentage of your check and give it to somebody in a country you don't even know? No, thank you. No, thank you. When I look at people fighting over Trump or Biden, you know, the hippie and the redneck are the same person. They both live in a, out in the woods. They both hate the government. Neither of them have any money. Both of them probably have student loans. If we took the money that we make in our country and we gave it to the people in this country, we could solve all the problems. We could, we could pay reparations. We could give everybody a UBI. We could build infrastructure. We could make our country and everybody in it live a, a life worth living. We could pay off the student loans. We could have free college. We could have all of that if we just stopped giving our money to foreign countries. If we stop giving our money to the military industrial complex, if we stop giving our money to sovereign wealth funds who lobby our congressmen, if we could alleviate some of the corruption in our government, then we could appease both sides of the aisle. And that is why you see such a contentious fight right now. It's not Trump versus Biden. It's it's the sovereign wealth funds. It's the other countries. It's big money, big, big organizations from around the world spending billions of dollars to lobby, to lobby our congressmen and senators to pass bills that are good for them. And they've done it under the guise of sustainable development. They've done it under the guise of equality. Again, sustainable development is the same thing. I love this planet. I love trees. I love the ocean. I love nature. I'm a hippie at heart, man. However, sustainable development is not what you think. Sustainable development is not is not hey, I'm I'm going to cut I'm not going to cut down a forest. Sustainable development is forcing people to move into cities. Forcing people to live in a neighborhood where, okay, you make, let's say you make $100,000 a year. I would like you to live in an apartment complex right next to a guy that has a crack problem and he's got nine kids. And some of his kids are violent offenders. See, sustainable development means taking low-income housing and mixing it with working-class housing or upper-class housing. Like not having any of that. And it sounds beautiful, right? 
until your kid gets raped, until you can't sleep at night because your neighbors are having some huge party. That's what you vote for when you vote for equality. That's what you vote for when you vote for sustainable. Sustainable development means sustainable development means taking money from working people and giving it to corporations so they can continue to develop where they want to develop. Just because something sounds nice doesn't mean it's true. And I, I just want to drive that home. It goes back to like, it's lunacy. It's lunacy. We're going to, we're seeing that, we're just seeing the, so much division. And there's so many people I love that are just fighting over such nonsense. I talked to this woman I love yesterday more than almost anything in the world. And all she could talk about was how horrible Trump is. And like, I don't care. I don't, I don't care that I don't care about Trump or Biden. Neither one of those people care about me. Why would I spend any time caring about them? However, when someone you love, that's all they can talk about. It's pretty disturbing. It makes me sad. And no matter how much you try to tell them, like, look, man, we, we were okay before this guy. So it made me try to think of different things that can bring us together. And what I think can bring us together is, is what I said previously, is understanding that there's enough money for us to do all these programs if we stand together. Right, let's do all of them. Let's build infrastructure. Let's give reparations. Let's give a UBI. Let's make our country Let's make our country a country for all of us. Right? Let's find something that we can stand behind. We can't fix the world, but we can fix our community. We can't fix the world, but we can fix our country. Right? I think people are beginning to see that the people debating, they don't represent any of us, right? Does anyone think that two men almost 80 years old, two white guys almost 80, both probably billionaires, does, do those people represent our country? No, absolutely not. Like, why? How? How is it possible that it wasn't Tulsi or Andrew or any young kid coming up on the Republican side. How is that possible? Those are the questions you should ask. How, how is it that this guy is the nominee? Did anybody vote for that? You should do some digging on there. And it, it brings me to what we got here with this whole COVID distraction, right? The biggest problem for me with COVID is the effect it's having on our kids. You know, there's so much just disgusting rhetoric coming out of the television. Just so much dishonesty and deceit. And 
it, it boggles my mind to think about what are the long-term ramifications for children not socializing? What are the long-term ramifications for our so-called leaders to be telling the children of this nation they should be afraid and that they should stand six feet apart? Most of you know I'm a UPS driver and I, you know, I take pride in what I do. I'm good at my job. And one thing that I really love about it is that I get to go around all the neighborhoods and I see all the kids and I try to hand out little logic puzzles sometimes. I feel it's my responsibility to look out for those kids and look out for the neighborhood and I work. The reason I bring that up is there's this little apartment complex. I may have spoken about this before. And in this apartment complex, there's like these roving band of little kids. They're like Lord of the Flies. They're not dangerous or mean or anything, but they're just rolling around their little neighborhood. You know what I mean? And they range from ages probably six to 11. And it's, on some level, it's super awesome and it's super inspiring. And I always try to tell them jokes and riddles. And a while back, after one of our conversations, I gave them the task of, hey, I want, when I leave, I want you guys to, next time I see you, tell me what you can do to make this world better and what you're most looking forward to. So that was a few weeks ago. And yesterday I saw him again. And, you know, one of the things, here's here's what they told me. To make the world better, I can stay six feet apart. And the other one's like, I can stay 12 feet apart. The other one's like, I can stay 100 feet apart. You know what I mean? It's kind of funny. However, it's pretty sad. And they all had masks on. And mind you, I'm in Hawaii. And the complex is way out in the middle of nowhere. And there's big feet. Like, they're, they have this big courtyard. And I'm like... It just, it saddened me. You know, and... and clearly, it's... That's probably... What they're being told by their parents. So... To hear them say the best thing they can do to change the world is stay away from each other. Like, that's so fucking sinister to me. So you know what I did? I just deprogrammed all that bullshit. I sat with them. I, had to, I just took my lunch and I'm like, you think that's what it is? Nah, you know what you can do to change the world? You can see the world different. You could travel anywhere in the world. Hey, you know there's parts of the world right now where no one wears masks? And their eyes get all big. I'm like, do you know there's parts of the world where it's not even 2020. And some parts of the world's a different year. And they're like, what? What are you talking about? That's nuts. And I'm like, yeah. I'm like, you know what? You young men, you could travel the world and you could create something no one's ever created before. You could do it and you could start right now. And they're like, what? How would we do that? I'm like, you could travel the world and they're not gonna have any money. I'm like, I know. But you know what you also you could do? Look at there's one, two, three, there's four of you. I bet if you put up a sign over by the mailboxes that says, wait a minute, you guys got to come up with a name for yourself. You guys got a name for your group? And they start thinking and they're like, how about five, five cool kids? I'm like, that's a great name. I'm like, you could put up a sign that says five cool kids will sweep your stairs for five bucks a week. And there's, there's, a lot of different, there's a lot of different apartments over here. Imagine that. You could probably sweep those steps in like, I don't know, 20 minutes and make five bucks. Imagine if, imagine if each of you guys made five bucks every day. 
for like an hour. Think about that. For an hour's work, you guys all get five bucks. Into the week, you got 25, right? Into the month, you each got a hundred bucks. You know how many Snickers bars that buys? Eyes get all big. I'm like, you could do it right now. What if what if you could get 10 bucks? You know, so I, I try to deprogram them a little bit and and show them like, look, you could make some money right now. This is a perfect time. Not that making money is a good thing to do or or something like that, but I think setting up something and taking your own initiative and showing the kids that you can make your own way. That was my goal. And that is my goal when I talk to those kids. Like, look, you and you alone are responsible for making your way in life. And don't let anybody tell you to be scared. The people who tell you you should be scared are people that are scared. Right? If someone tells you you should be scared, then you should be scared to talk to that person because that person is clearly frightened about an invisible enemy. And that's a huge problem. So, Miguel Cervantes, Don Quixote, phenomenal book. Definitely check it out. I'm going to read some more about it. There's so many, so much awesomeness in Miguel Cervantes. You know, there's two books. Did you guys know that there's two books? Did you guys also know that I think it's in book two? Miguel Cervantes, according to I got I should research him before I tell this story. I'll give you a synopsis because I, I, I don't thoroughly remember it. So I just tell you what I know and then I'll fix it and come back. So Miguel Cervantes wrote Don Quixote. According to according to legend, then he was out celebrating some success or something like that, and he went to a bar where there was another guy pretending to be Miguel Cervantes. So Miguel Cervantes, like, called that guy out a little bit. He's like, oh, you wrote Don Quixote? Really? And he started asking him all these questions, and then he flipped it on the guy and, you know, put the guy in a position where he couldn't answer questions so that the guy had to admit that he wasn't Miguel Cervantes. But that's not even the awesome part. The awesome part is that Miguel Cervantes then wrote that scene into the actual book of Don Quixote using Don Quixote of course it's a phenomenal book if you haven't read it like what's wrong with you you know what if you subscribe to my channel my podcast if you leave a if you subscribe give me a four star rating and leave a comment I will send you an audio version of this book so do it you got no reason alright I love you guys Aloha. Aloha, everyone. Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way, I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years. Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge, and I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now, and it's been so rewarding to me that I just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true. But you have to believe in them. 
And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.